We're back. This is segment two of the 17th edition of Boston Radio. And on the line, we've got the amazing legendary guitarist, Jeff Skunk Baxter. So uh, let's pick up where we left off with Jeff. So Jeff, you've always been really great at supporting the song with the right fills and playing just the right licks that go with the tune. Do you have any advice for guitarists who want to do that? Sure. Number one thing is don't play. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I remember Gary Katz, who was producer for Steely Dan. I used to do a lot of work for his other project. And I'm trying to remember the name of the artist. It was a female artist. And he said, I want you to come down, bring all your stuff. Because uh, I've just about finished this record and I need some finishing touches. Yep. And uh, so I, you know, I had my cartridge guy come down, set up all the stuff, sat there, went through the whole record. And I turned to him, I said, you don't need anything. And he said, that's why I hired you. Wow. You know, you can certainly play a lot. But the trick is where, where you don't play, it's leaving holes. It's creating uh, opportunities for listeners to breathe, you know, to be able to catch up with you, to be able to get inside what you're doing. And a sparsity, I think, is the, is the secret. I, I believe that whatever, whatever part you're playing, you can probably cut it in half. Huh. In the studio, it's what you don't play uh-huh. that really is uh, what becomes the most effective. Being in the studio is, and working on someone's project is not an opportunity for you to, to showcase yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an opportunity for you to contribute something to the project. Anyway, that's, to uh-huh. me, that's what's most important. Powerful advice. I've got another excerpt of you playing, and this is with the Doobie Brothers, the huge hit, Take Me In Your Arms. Okay. Wow, and that song is is really an example of leaving space and uh, playing only at the opportune moments. Well, and also something that's really important when you're soloing, mm-hmm. it's a composition. There shouldn't be you know, just stringing a bunch of riffs together. I mean, it should have a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. You should be able to listen to it and see it as complete. I've always approached soloing that way. So, Jeff, how did you uh, go from the from Steely Dan to the Doobie Brothers? I mean, two huge bands. Did you just meet the guys in the Doobie Brothers and kind of hit it off? Well, Steely Dan was opening for the Doobie Brothers. Ah. And they had asked me to, you know, come up and jam a few tunes with the band huh. a number of times. And it just ended up, I was playing probably... You know, the whole show with... Steely Dan? Dan, and then about half the show with the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> and um, wow. when Steely Dan, when uh, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan decided they didn't want to tour anymore, the 
doobies who really wanted me to go out with them. So, uh, but okay, sounds like fun. You know? you know, I remember in the movie Romancing the Stone, Michael Douglas goes berserk when he finds out you guys, the Duber brothers, broke up. He was really upset. Do you remember that scene? I, I do, actually. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny scene. You guys were huge. Do you have any special memories or gigs with the Doobie Brothers that stand out? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, there were so many shows, and I think some of my favorite times were when we toured with the Memphis Horn. That was the Doobie's horn section? Absolutely. The mm-hmm. Memphis Horns were the horn section for Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, all the Stax Volt stuff, everything that, that you heard. Stax Volt records. So the Memphis Horns kind of changed the dynamic of the gig? Well, yeah, uh-huh. especially. See, you know, horn players are guys that you know look at music from a whole kind of other point of view. Uh, and the fact that you had you know you had a horn section meant that there had to be a, a tremendous amount of care taken in the live performances as well. Uh-huh. And I thought that was excellent for the band, and it certainly gave the band a um, an opportunity to hone their chops, so to speak, I think, for what later on became the Doobie Brothers' best-selling album, which was minute by minute. Going back to what you were saying about space, leaving space, that's something that horn players have to do, mainly because they have to breathe. Well, a lot of the solos that I do, and you listen to the stuff, you played a an excerpt from uh, my old school. Mm-hmm. If you listen to it, it is, in a lot of ways, a horn solo. I grew up listening to horn players. My dad yeah. was a jazz aficionado, uh-huh. so I listened to a lot of horn players. Were your parents musicians? My mom mm-hmm. was and is, you know, she's 93, but she played the piano, and she was the one that uh, gave me the opportunity to start taking piano lessons when I was five years old. Man, I sure believe that you have such an advantage if you learn to play an instrument when you're young. Well, and also remember when you're young, you have the opportunity to begin to establish muscle memory. Uh huh. And muscle memory is very important playing any instrument because that's why you practice scales and that's why you practice to become familiar, in a sense, with the vocabulary of music so right. that you are able to access any words and vocabulary that you want so that you can express yourself in a particular way. And it is a language, like you're talking about vocabulary. Very much so. Here's another excerpt from the Doobie Brothers. This is called Little Darling. Those horns you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. 
Wow. Just love the Memphis Horns. I mean, what an incredible group wow. of folks. And your solo there is just blending. Well, that's actually, that's Pat Simmons. That's not me playing on that. Ah. But maybe, you Oops. know, maybe some of it rubbed off. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> hey, you've done so many things in, in your career. I've read that you produced the band Nazareth. Yes. I met those guys in a laundromat when I was on the road once, and I swear I couldn't understand a word the guys were saying, because they have that thick Scottish accent. Did you have any <laughs> trouble communicating? No, not at all, because <laughs> my family is all Scottish anyway, <laughs> so it's really not a problem. They get a deal of time with those guys, you know. After a wee swally, a couple of swallies is no problem. See, that's the kind of stuff they were saying, and they were really fun guys. I had a good time with them, even though I couldn't understand. Oh, yeah, they're absolutely incredible folks. Tremendous musician, Stan McCafferty's got to be one of the great, the great singers. Oh, yeah. Love Hurts, Hair of the Dog. Let's see. You know what? I've got another excerpt here. This is actually from a video I found on the internet. It's called American Guitar Technique. And you're talking and demonstrating here. Let's check it out. People say, well, country music. Uh, well, country music sort of grew out of jazz. If you were a guy that was playing, you know... So well, that's kind of a jazz sound, and that was really nice, but you changed the pickup. All of a sudden, you're playing country music. Now, what's the difference? The difference is the way you approach the instrument, the way you attack the strings, and the sound. When I hit this sound, you go, oh, yeah, New York skyline, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, taking a cab uptown, have a little bite to eat. And then when you hear this sound, you see, you know, expensive suits with lots of glitter and stuff and big cowboy hats, and uh, you're back at the Grand Ole Opry. So style has a lot to do with the way you want your sound to speak. And that's one wonderful thing about the electric guitar. That's a great video. I really recommend folks check that out. It's called American Guitar Technique featuring, of course, Jeff Baxter. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, it's an online instructional thing. Speaking of, of that, could we talk about gear for a minute? Uh, sure. I think you've been a single-coil pickup guy. Is that true? Um, I, I am a, certainly a fan of the Fender sound. And do you have any favorite amps or pedals? Um, absolutely. One of my favorite amplifiers, frankly, is the JC120. The Roland. I've been using, I still have the one that, uh, that Roland gave me back in 74, 75. It was a pair of JBL D120s. Mm -hmm. With um, the silver domes? Absolutely. And they were JBLs. And one of the reasons I like the amplifier so much is, number one, it's a very clean amplifier, and I'm a pedal steel player. Huh. And one thing you really don't want, unless you you know, want to add it as an external effect, is distortion. Distortion. When it comes to playing pedal steel. So... I, I love the sound of the amplifier, and I use um, a number of uh, Roland products, actually. I was involved in the design of the original ME-10, ah. which is a, is a tremendous, awesome guitar processor. Boss multiple effects. Uh, absolutely. I have the ME-70 right here on the floor next to me. That's the latest one. I had met Mr. Kakahashi. Years ago, when I was working at a music store in, on 48th Street in New York, 
Uh-huh. Uh, Mr. Kakahashi had a company called Ace Tone. Mr. Kakahashi is the founder of Roland and Bob. And my job was to go downtown on the subway and uh, pick up a number of premier reverb units, which were reverb units that were uh, less expensive than the Fender, but very, you know, sounded really good. And that was his company that was distributing them. Huh. So I remember meeting Mr. Kakahashi back in 1964. Wow. Then later on, a good friend of mine named Paul Herman mm-hmm. uh, introduced me to some to the folks at Roland. And they had said, well, we're working on a guitar synthesizer. Uh-huh. I said, well, I, have, I had done some work on it on my own as well. And that I would like to be involved. And so I started getting involved with Roland. I've been with Roland for 33 years. I don't even know if I would say endorsing it. I mean, I believe in the products. Mr. Takahashi is yeah. probably the most guitar-friendly human being on the planet. He's such a cool guy. Tremendous human being. We're good friends for 30 years. But as a company, he has always focused on the guitar player. He's always had a big place in his heart for the guitarist. And uh, I love that. Yeah. Absolutely love that. I think uh, to have somebody like that in your corner... The thing that impresses me about Roland and Boss as a division of Roland is that our company constantly moves forward. We're always looking for new things and what's the next thing over the the horizon. And uh, whereas a lot of other companies are looking back, they're looking back to the 60s or and trying to recreate something that was done back then. A guitar synthesizer, of course, is really pretty cutting-edge guitar technology. Do you still use a guitar synthesizer now and then? Absolutely. Which one do you have? I have them all. (laughs) Of course. Including the GR1 and everything. As a matter of fact, I was doing a project for someone who was doing a sort of cover version of Sgt. Pepper and Uh basically went in and did all the horns. And you can't tell the difference. Again, the whole thing about playing guitar synthesizer is sort of put yourself in in the position of the instrument that you're creating and if you get that right then you're in really pretty pretty good shape when you're playing a horn part you have to really think like a horn player you can't Absolutely. do a, a harmonic or you know rake across the strings well if you're playing a piano you don't strum a piano right <laughs> and and if you're playing a trombone or a trumpet you really need to phrase like a horn player Using a guitar synthesizer is an unbelievable thing. I Yesterday, I was recording some keyboard parts, and I just didn't have my guitar synthesizer in the room with me, and I tried using a keyboard. And you had piano lessons when you were a kid, but for me, it was like just losing all my intelligence. But if I could play it on a guitar, I could know exactly what chord is, and I can play a major nine chord, boom right away on a guitar, and I can't do that on a keyboard, and that's such an advantage. Well, sure, if you can translate the vocabulary that you have. I mean, for for years and years and years, the synthesizer was the purvey of the uh, sort of owned by keyboard players because a keyboard is basically a series of on-off switches, so it was much easier to uh, translate that as a interface. I remember the uh, first guitar synthesizer I ever had was prototype, the GR500 prototype, and <laughs> I remember going in to do the first Donna Summer record. Donna Summer, huge uh, artist. 
and actually played the solo on Hot Stuff with a uh, with a guitar that I bought for twenty five dollars. It was a Burns Bison guitar, really nice guitar, actually. Wow, that was a huge hit, Jeff. And again, they were those a lot of fun, but if you listen to the guitar solo on mm-hmm. Bad Girls, that's the first guitar synthesizer solo. Was that a Donna Summer song? It was a huge hit for Donna Summer. Uh huh. The second record after Hot Stuff, and it's guitar synth. It, but it was. It wasn't even a production model. This was a basically a breadboard. I put a big, um, big plastic salad bowl over the electronics. <laughs> Took it into the studio. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for talking to us. Any last words you have for about Boss Pedals? It's amazing to me. It's when my daughter goes down to the grocery store and goes to the spice rack. That's uh-huh. what the Boss Pedal line reminds me of. <laughs> there is a flavor. That will enhance anything. Great analogy. Tremendous concept as a series of spices to interface with your guitar playing. <laughs> and they don't break. Oh, no. <laughs> they are very rugged. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show and, uh, and for giving everybody all this great music you have over the years. That's very kind. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. My pleasure. Here's Jeff Skunk Baxter playing along with Donna Summer underneath me and as he's played with just about everybody else too. Thank you for listening to Boss Tone Radio and using Boss Gear. We really appreciate it. And this is Paul Hansen saying until the next show, see ya.